This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Father, we thank you that, like we've heard this weekend, that we can sit here before you today loved um, as your children. Father, thank you that yeah, you've loved us too much to leave us where we're at. And like we've heard, Father, we, we want to live out a posture of, of genuine, authentic grace. Father, I pray that as we yeah, sit under the word one more time after a tiring weekend, Father, I pray that just give us the energy that we need to, to hear, to be receptive to your word, just to, to be shaped to be more and more into the image of Christ. Father, help us leave this session not the same people that we walked in as. Father, we're expecting to see what you're going to do. Father, make me less so I can make you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. There you go. It's better than I thought it would be. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm actually in the last kind of month and a half of my Bible college degree. I'm on the home stretch. Like the end is in sight. If I pass everything, which hopefully I will. Um, but one of the cool things about Bible college is every year we get to go away on college mission. And I, I remember my first mission pretty distinct. So you, got, you put your name down for a few places. I didn't know what I would get. They kind of give the, the best places to people who are third year. Um, but people went to really cool places. Like some people went to rural Australia to work with communities, um, remote communities, saying the gospel to them. Um, we had a team that went to Southeast Asia to work with impoverished um, people in Indonesia. And we had people that went to Central Africa. And they literally took the gospel to a community who've never heard the gospel before. When my name came up, I saw next to my name was Paris. And I was like, oh, why me, God? Like, why Paris? Oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> but I was obedient to God, and I went. Um, so we, went, we spent three weeks in Paris, just <laughs> spending time with church plants, drinking a lot of wine, eating a lot of bread. Uh, we get updates from other mission teams, and they're, like, roughing it out in, like, straw huts. And I was, like, in, a, like, a five-star hostel um, for the gospel. Um, so it was a really great time. But it was really cool to see how God was at work in Paris, in Europe, just how house churches used hospitality to, to reach people who, in that context, don't want anything to do with religion. Very driven by philosophy and worldview and, poli- again, my, my people, politics. Um, but it was actually my time after that. So I, I met up with my sister in Rome. Oh, in Italy, and we went to all different places. But the cool thing it was that God revealed to me was that the early church, so you go around, particularly Italy, you go around Rome, and you just see little remnants of the early church and the impact they had on culture and the people around them. And you see, like, you go to the, the Colosseum, there's, like, little um, monuments or little memorials. Like, you have to really look to see it. Where, pe- like, the early Christians were just praised and kind of, like, plaques saying sorry because... Christians were fed to lions of sport, or beheaded, or tortured. And then you, like, I, I remember walking down a street and walking past the prison that they thought Paul was in when he wrote a lot of his epistles. And just the cost, and just no matter what the Roman Empire did, it tried their hardest to stamp out Christianity. But it didn't work. And millions, and like over, I think it's after like three centuries I think it was up to like 50 million of like 25% of the Roman Empire at the time professed to be Christians. And this is before it was like okay to be a Christian. These are like severely persecuted Christians. 
And it made me think, like, what, like, what was it about them? Like, what were they doing that just made the Holy Spirit use their lives just to see this massive boom, despite crazy political opposition, despite crazy cultural opposition? Um, I remember reading this quote um, about how, like, Caesar at the time, I think it was, like, second century, um, the Caesar at the time sent a spy into the early church to kind of get this information, like, what's going on? Why is this church growing, despite us trying to do everything we can to stop it? And there's this quote, it should be on the screen. It says, this is what the spy wrote back to Caesar. He said, they loved one another, and he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is anyone among them that are poor and needy, they have no spare food, they fast for two or three days in order to supply the needy um, with their lack of food. Such, O Caesar, is their manner of life. And truly, this is a new people. There is something divine in the midst of them. Like in other words, they were making God's goodness, His glory and His grace visible in how they interact with one another. And within a few hundred years, like I said, despite all this opposition... Christianity boomed, the gospel went out, and here we are today, 2,000 years later, Deer Park, having heard the gospel, meeting on a church weekend away. And how about you? I, I read that quote in the other week, and I thought, what would happen if the Governor General of Australia, whatever, what's his name? I don't know. I don't know who it is now. Sorry? Thanks, Jackie. David Hurley. There you go. Do not know. Yeah, I, I, Australian politics, black hole. <laughs> um, but like, what would happen if the governor general sent in a spy to anchor church? What would he report back? What, what would they say about us? How we interact with one another, not just on a weekend away when we're all hyped up on community, but on a Sunday in our GCs. What they say about how we love one another. What they say about what we believe and how that flowed into how we acted. Or what if a, a spy came to your GC, came to Dulwich Hill GC on a Wednesday night? What if they followed you to work on your daily commute or after work drinks? What if they say they're in your house? So how you interact with your kids, with your spouse, your housemates, your friends. Like, what, what would they say? What would they report back? And I hope, and my prayer is, that they report back something that they saw, that we, sorry, that we saw in Acts 2, that was just read out. That a community of faith has been so radically transformed by the grace that we've heard over the past few days, that it overflows, and it's just made visible in every aspect, in every facet of our lives. <clears throat> like, this weekend, we spent a lot of time talking about cheap grace, <clears throat> and just to refresh us, cheap grace is, in many ways, it's simply wanting the benefits of Christianity, but without wanting Jesus. It's, not, it's wanting like, the benefits of Christianity, but not having it completely transform every aspect of our lives. It's, it's treating Christianity as something that you can kind of tap into whenever you want. Like, we, kind of how we view Netflix or Spotify. Like, when we, when we want it, it's there. When we don't want it, you kind of unsubscribe, you opt out. But Jesus says, following him, is dying to yourself. It's taking up your cross and it's following him. Uh, Sam Aubrey, who's a, a pastor in the UK, 
um, who has written extensively about his kind of struggles with same-sex attraction. He has a really good book, which I quote I'm about to share from, it's called Is God Anti-Gay? I highly recommend it. It says this kind of long quote about Mark 8, where it talks about we need to die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. And he says this, he goes, it's the same for all of us, whoever. I have to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It's saying no to the deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. To take up a cross is to declare your life as you know it, forfeit. It's laying down your life for the very reason that your life, it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it, and through his death, he has bought it. Ever since I've been open about my own experiences with same-sex attraction, a number of Christians have said something like this, the gospel must be so much harder for you than it is for me, as though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything out of all of us. If someone thinks that the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily, without causing any major adjustment to their lifestyle or aspirations, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. When I first read that, it was like a knock to the heart. Because Chief Gray says, Jesus fits neatly into my life. He's just this add-on that I just put on to the end of my life when it's convenient. On a Sunday, GC, it's when Jesus is convenient for me. But Jesus says, or the gospel says, and the gospel of grace says, Jesus demands everything of all of us. We have to die to ourselves and completely live devoted to him. And that's where we come to today. That's what we see when we, we look at how the Christians in Acts 2 live out this, not a posture of cheap grace, but when followers of Jesus come together and they make grace visible with how they interact with one another. And how that is a, a powerful witness to the world. And how when we act, uh, live out like a, a genuine grace in how we interact with one another, God uses that to make his grace visible to the world around us. And the first way we see this kind of grace made visible is, again, with our interactions. So if you like, you like taking notes, my first point is devoted to loving one another. And in the previous verses, we see that the early church kind of boomed, like the revival broke out. You see that in verse 37. Peter preaches this sermon. 3,000 people are saved. And they kind of go off to like these little local churches and they start living out the way of Jesus. And come look at verse 44 with me. It says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, proce- uh, the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I don't know you, I, I read that, I think, I want that. I, I want verse 44 onwards. I want that community. Like I think this is a stunning picture of what a community of faith, of what a local church, of what brothers and sisters in Christ look like. And there's so much going on here, and I don't want to preach for three hours because we're cooked, right? Um, but I'm just going to pick up a couple of ways that we kind of see grace made visible in this community. And the first way is that we see it in their unity. We saw this in verse 44 where it says they all who had believed, they had all things in common. And now some of us hear that, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, some of us hear that and I think, like, what is this, some sort of cult? Like, what were they doing? Like, had white sheets, lived up in Byron Bay, they shared all their stuff together, they were with each other 24-7. Like, 
I don't think that's what Luke is saying happened here if he wrote Acts. So if you're, an in, if you're introverted here, breathe. It's okay. It's not this 24-7 community type thing. Where you're constantly with one another. But Luke is saying, he's, he's highlighting the unity that was in this community. And we see this kind of unity pop up again later in Acts 4, where it talks about all the believers were one in mind, one in heart. The unity wasn't based on how they dressed or how they spoke. It wasn't based on what football team or EPL team, depends if you're pure, uh, they went for. It wasn't based on who they voted for or where they landed on the political spectrum or where they landed on social issues. Nor was it based on their race or their financial status or their relationship status. But no, they're a diverse community. Jew, Gentile, people from different parts of the Middle East and Central Africa. It was this diverse community or Northern Africa. And this kind of unity stemmed from their devotion to Jesus. They were devoted to Jesus first. They were transformed by grace, and they, they shared this grace with each other. Like grace is made visible through the unity of our church. Grace is made visible through the diversity of our church. And the second way we kind of see that they were devoted to loving one another was the way they cared for one another. Chief grace means we kind of just look out for ourselves, right? Have my, have my own back. Um, all I do is care for myself, unless it's transactional. I'll care for someone else if they care for me back, or I know I'm going to get something out of this relationally. That, that's what cheap grace says. But the Bible talks about how we're to love and care for one another in, in practical ways, and in spiritual ways. We get this kind of image of practical care in verse 45, um, where it says they were selling their possessions, they were selling their belongings to all who had need. Like, this is radical love. It's a love that overflows from people who have been transformed by grace. Like they, they loved each other so much that if someone in their GC or someone in their church or someone in their gospel triplet was in need, they would give up their stuff for them. It wasn't just like, okay, it's in the budget for me today. I can, I can do this for you. Like it was this, this radical, this self-sacrificial love that when someone was down and out, that the church would rally around them. And they'll love them and, and care for them in practical ways. And we, while they do this, it's because they were so enamored and so encapsulated by the grace that they received from God that the natural overflow is to be generous towards other people. Like God has been so generous towards us in Jesus. Like so generous. Like we heard yesterday, the cost, what a cost that was. That the natural overflow for us is to be generous towards other people. And make great, God's grace visible in that way. We're choosing our money um, that God's given us just to bless someone, to help someone pay for their bills when they can't. To bless someone with a meal after church, whether it's being generous with the things that God's given us, like opening up our homes. When we know that someone's going through a season of loneliness in our church, opening up our homes, inviting them over the, for dinner. People who struggle with singleness and long for a family. Invite them over to like the bedtime routine. Uh, honestly, like for a lot of people, that's, that's massive. It's generous. They want to see what it looks like and all the mess and the craziness and the hours it could take. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's opening up our homes, letting people see our lives. 
Maybe it's generous with our time. And parents love this one. Maybe it's, maybe it's babysitting. Offering our time just to babysit so the parents can go on a date night in your GC. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and you like that. Like, whatever it is, like, God's given us different means to be generous. And all we've got to do is just lean in and just do it. Just, just identify, what has God given me to be generous? And just do it. Don't, you know, we don't need to plan it. I mean, babysitting you do. Don't just rock up, that'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Pro tip. Um, but man, and people get awkward about it, and just receive it. Like, don't get awkward, don't be like, let's just make grace visible in that way. He's given us different ways physically to care for each other. But as much as the, the physical is important, there's also the, the spiritual element of caring and loving one another. And we see that in, in Galatians 6, and we see it in 1 verse 2. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, as you also might be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And in, in verse 1, we kind of see like someone who's, who's caught in sin, and how we're called to restore them gently, or kind of correct them gently. And the word that is used here in the original language for restore, it's kind of putting together a broken bone, like if someone had a fractured arm, it's like putting that to, um, back together, kind of realigning, getting someone back on track. Um, so when someone is, is in sin, uh, we see that we're to restore them, we're to point them to Jesus, we're to point them to the grace that we have in Jesus, and we're to, to get alongside them and restore them and care for them. Like I recently heard <laughs> a really prophetic quote from a, a guy who planted a church, and he was talking about how he planted a church after six years it kind of folded in the inner west. And he talked about like at college, like everyone was encouraging him, like do it, do it, do it. And then a, a year after they planted, he was walking through the streets of um, the inner west, if you're abroad. And a, a faculty member from the college he went to came across him in the streets. And they said to him, like, how's it going? Oh, it's so great. Year, like, we just celebrated a year. It's so amazing. And they said to him, if you were to take like a, a bet of all the faculty, that if your church would last a year, you would have cleaned up. Um, brutal quote. And that's the behind the scenes. People were just nice to him. They were encouraging him. They were saying, go do this. And what he said was that Christians are far too nice, but they're not loving enough. That, that we're, we're far too nice to each other. Like at face value, we don't want to offend. We don't want to cause conflict. But we're not loving enough to point out the sin in each other's lives or to point out if we're making unwise decisions. Like, we, we don't want to cause conflict. And, and maybe I'm saying for myself, but I don't enjoy conflict. If you do, I don't know what's wrong with you. But, like, no one wants to cause conflict. We don't want to offend people. Like, we want, we want, we want to be unified. We want to be harmonious. But the, the Bible's metric for loving one another isn't how many uncomfortable moments you avoid but it's how we speak the gospel into each other's lives. It's how we correct one another. It's how we, we, we lovingly get alongside and point out the sin in our lives or each other's lives. And we, we lovingly restore one another. We journey together to do that. We, and we don't want to minimize each other's sin because sin is serious. Like if we've, you take anything out of this weekend, no, like, like sin is serious. We don't want to have this cheap grace where it's like, okay, I'll dive into sin every now and then. 
But God's grace is more serious, more powerful. And Chief Grace says, I don't, I don't care if my brother and sister are anchor churches to me. But we, we don't want to treat sin lightly. Like we don't want to just kind of let some of them go and, and be and just kind of pray that they don't spiral out of control. But we want to restore each other. And I think that the kind of key word in that verse, particularly verse 2, is the word gently. Or verse 1, sorry. Is like, yeah, gently. Underline that word. Because it's the most important part of that verse. We correct and restore one another gently. It's recognizing that we need God's grace just as much as the other person is struggling. That we have our own sins that we're struggling with just as much as they're struggling with it. Maybe it's a different sin, but it's just as bad. It's just as insidious against God. If we have parts of our lives that need to be, be restored and be realigned to the gospel just as much as anyone else. And when we, when we kind of recognize that and see sin in someone else's life, that's when we humbly step in. We get alongside them. And we point them to the grace that we have on offer in Jesus. In verse 2, we see that we're to carry each other's burdens. Um, growing up, I had a, a fascination with ancient history. Um, real trans history and politics. Um, but I had a real, like, real fascination with it. And I think it's because I loved Age of Empires, that computer game as a kid. <laughs> I mean, it just came across to real life. Um, but a common practice in ancient history, um, particularly like in, in battle, was something called coup de grace. And coup de grace was when um, someone was wounded on the battlefield. And so they didn't hold you back. They would kill them. They would pull them out of their misery. It was particularly like common among samurais. Like if someone was wounded, someone was taken out of action, instead of being like, okay, let's just get them back, get them back on track. It's like, they're a burden, let's get rid of them, and let's continue on. And I think so often, us as Christians, we're, we're quick to shoot our wounded. What I mean by that is when, when someone is struggling with sin, uh, maybe someone's wrestling with a, partic- a particular sin, or they're deconstructing their faith, or they just have genu- uh, general questions about faith, we, we kind of just tap out, because it's too hard. We put in a too hard basket. I don't have time for this. Like we often just bail. Maybe it's like a self-protection thing because we're struggling with the same thing. Maybe we just kind of hope like that. Hopefully that person will sort themselves out. Hopefully it's just a phase they're going through. Maybe more insidious, we think it'll be a burden on us. We kind of just let people go in their rebellion and their disobedience because we're, we're too selfish. We're too lazy. We don't love them enough. But the reality is God has given us his spirit and brothers and sisters around us to fight sin together. We fight sin in community. And we don't shoot our wounded. But we need to be a people that when someone is struggling, we get around them. When someone's wrestling or deconstructing their faith, we listen. We weep with those who are weeping. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we point them to the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus. That the, the grace that's on offer, the genuine grace that's on offer in Jesus. And part of making this kind of, oh sorry, like, and this means for us as a church, we need to continue. Because I think we do this, but I think we need to continue to have this kind of come as you are attitude. That people can come to anchor, not having laughed together. People can come doubting. Because, like, church isn't a place where everyone has everything together. If you think you have everything together, 
you're lying to yourself. Because we don't. And part of making grace visible to each other is saying that it's okay to not be okay. Because we know that God meets us where we're at. It's okay not to have it all together. It's okay to have questions. But God meets us there and he, he, he uses, by his spirit, he's shaped us to be more like Jesus in community. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, the meme. It should be on the screen. I'm not sure you've seen this meme before. I think this encapsulates how some people, like how in my own life, how people approach church and GC. I've never done it. Someone comes up to you after church or someone in GC and they go, like, how are you going? I'm oh, sweet. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Busy, but yeah, everything's all good at the moment. Or, and like, it's like that. It's like, I'm fine. Everything's sweet. Around your house, is, but your life's burning down. And I think so often we live behind this veneer that everything's okay. We don't want to be vulnerable. But we want to have a, a culture, a church, because genuine grace, it, it puts your hand up and says, I'm not okay. I need help. We can probably take it down now, but it's going to distract for the rest of the time. <laughs> distract me. Um, so we want to have that culture. If someone asks you at church and says, how are you? Let them know. Yeah, it's been a hard week. I love prayer for this. Like obviously, I'm not saying you have to do it with like the person who's first time coming to church or you don't know them that well. We, we have our people. Be, be vulnerable. Be real. And let grace shine into your life and the gospel and the, the good news that we have. Don't pretend that you're, you're nailing it as a parent. Maybe your kid's been hectic that week. You thought something spiritual was going on because they've been like crawling up the walls or something because they're crazy. Let people know. Like if, if you're struggling mentally, if you're struggling financially, put your hand up. Put your pride aside. Let people love you and care for you. Because this is how we make grace visible. We have to shine grace into the, the dark parts of our life. As a church, we want to have that culture of vulnerability. We don't want people to, to be afraid to come along and be like, they won't accept me because I'm not okay. Like, we want people to know that we're all broken, we all need Jesus. Because we know it's okay not to be okay, because God meets us where we're at. I've seen this kind of play out in my own life. Um, over my time, I became a Christian when I was 18, and over that time, I've been blessed have brothers and sisters who have loved me enough to put a hard word on me. Whether it's how I, particularly when I first became a Christian, like I'll try and be funny and use wit and sarcasm to like, I don't know, kind of win people over or find my like, hard up vulnerabilities in my own life. I don't have people pull me aside. And I, this is a classic nice way to do it. They'll say, can I make a comment about your faith? <laughs> um, which I'll go, what does that mean? Um, but people... Just got alongside me and said, hey man, I see how you're doing this. I think you need to be careful of this. Um, keep doing this. Like, and it's just, got alongside me. They, I remember going through a season of depression maybe like seven years ago. And I had a, 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 such a good mate, I'm going to cry thinking about it. Um, who like literally just got alongside me and just wept when I wept. Just listened to me, probably just not make sense at all and just blurt out how I'm feeling. He just loved me, got alongside me, cared for me, didn't try and like say, okay, I'm, I'm the savior, I'm going to give you a fix right now, but just prayed for me. 
Uh, it's like little things like this. Or we don't need to be each other's saviors. Like, Jesus has taken that role. But we need to carry each other's burdens. And with our friends, like it, it made my burden a little bit lighter. He didn't take the burden away fully. It's not his job. But it was, it was good to know I had a brother who was in the foxhole with me, caring for me. So we've seen how kind of what it looks like to see this grace made visible in community. We want to point each other to the, the beauty and the glory and just the being enamored by Jesus and the grace that we have through him on the cross. And we'll see how, I mean, now we see like what it looks like to the outside world and how this grace that we kind of, when we're living in community, when we're being vulnerable and loving one another and, and sharing the grace with one another, what that looks like to the outside world. And this is the second point. It's a lot shorter, don't worry. Uh, so we're devoted to mission. And we see this in the second half of verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we see this, that the Lord was adding to the number. It's God at work. It's, it's God who's transforming people. It's God using us as we make the great, His grace made visible through our lives. It's Him that calls people to Himself. I heard about that last week at church. It's, it's him that's at work. And every day, every day, the wayward were being brought home. Like, just imagine that. Imagine how awesome that would be that every single day someone was coming to know Jesus. Someone was having an encounter with one of our church family members, with a GC. Random encounters, and that our lives were so shining out the gospel and the grace that we have that people just want to know what is it that you have. Every day, the wayward being brought home, and, and this doesn't mean that we kind of just sit back, crack open a brew, and just be like, "Hey, God's at work." I'll just kind of live my life, and then hopefully people will come along. Right, we need to we need to put our hands to the plow. We've got, we got God's spirit and he's working through us, but we need to be living lives that match the gospel that we preach. But we want people to come along to Anchor. We want people to encounter us in the workplace or the mum's group or school pickup or picking up our coffee with our barista or whatever encounter you have with people throughout the day. And we want people just to see the hope that we have and be like, I want that. I want to know what they have. Uh, I recently heard a, uh, I read an article um, kind of about like the culture of just really well-known pastors like falling lately and like really political failings, uh, political, public failings of just pretty big moral failures. And there's kind of, it's a self-professed atheist who wrote this article. He just kind of commented on what like he's seeing in the Western church and his experience. And it says this, and the, the kind of the title is like a, a twist of Christianity. He says there is mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, trendy political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. He goes on to say there's, he goes, you have your right-wing business-orientated evangelicals who offer capitalistic self-enrichment with hubristic jingoism with a twist of Christianity. And he goes, you have your kind of left-wing, uh, your Christians who kind of take up the, the left-wing causes, um, but with a twist of Christianity. And then he says this line where he says, so if Christianity is so unessential add-on to my life, 
why become a Christian at all? I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as though they want to become more like me. It's the most prophetic thing I've ever heard from a non-Christian. <laughs> like, that just encapsulates the cultural moment that the Western church is in. Like, grace is made visible to an onlooking world, not by us wanting to become more like them. It's not by us conforming to the culture around us. It's not by us wanting to fit in. But we make grace visible by living such different lives that demands an explanation for the hope that we have. And we're called to be cities on a hill. We're called to be lights in a dark world, beacons of hope in a broken city, shining the light of the gospel into every aspect of culture, every sphere that we operate in. But we're not to become the culture. We're not to conform. God doesn't need us to make him on trend or make him cool. I couldn't be using the methods we have to show that God's relevant for now. We don't want to water down who he is. We don't want to distill God to just being an add-on to our lives. When, when he is the center of everything that we do, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we love one another, when he's a person that we, we're speaking about all the time, like it's, it's attractive. It, it, God uses it to, to bring people towards him. And like what happened with Seeds of Spy, we want people to know that there is something different about us. Like James would say, not weird in the sense of Ned Flanders, like there's something different about them. But something different in like, the, what is it that they have? I need what they have. And this is actually a really big part of my own story. Uh, again, I'll say, like I say, I became a Christian like 17, 18. Um, close friend of mine died very suddenly in a boating accident. And I remember I had a friend at school who we weren't like, my, my group of friends wasn't really following the way of Jesus at all. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Um, we had a guy who was like a Christian in our group. Legend of a guy. Dream was to be a tradie and he was good at it and like he just loved footy, loved a beer. And I remember like when my friend passed away, I was like, I, I want to go to church. I want to find out like what happens when I die. And I went to my friend and I said, can I come to your church on Sunday? And he's like, hell yeah, you can. So I went to church with him. And this church was not trendy, right? It was not cool. It, well, I won't name it. Um, <laughs> I almost did, but I won't. Um, but like it was full of loving, caring People of all ages, all stages, different careers. Um, this is in Australia, so it was mostly white, but very much like a diverse family who just cared for another, and they welcomed me in. Like the old, I remember like this old lady just came up and she just treated me like I was her grandson. I didn't even know her. And like, like I said, they weren't the coolest, they weren't the trendiest. They were a mix of personalities. There were some weird people there, I'll, I'll say that. But there was something about that community that I thought, I want what they have. They love each other. Not just in a friend group of like pro social proximity because they go to the same workplace, the same school or uni as you. But they genuinely love each other as a family that I've never seen before. 
And I knew that it made the gospel visible to me. And the way they just spoke about him, the way they talked about their failings and what their struggles were. And I just thought, I need more. And I went to like five different Bible studies, three different church services. I was like all in. And eventually God did a work in my heart. Um, but more than ever in our time, like in this, in this moment that we're in, the world is watching us. People in our workplaces are watching us. People in our unis, again, in the, in the parents' groups, the park, people are watching us. We need to think about how we can make his grace visible and how we can live and love one another. Uh, love one another. Like our families are watching. I've got, I got family members who don't know Jesus. And I think to myself, they're watching. I need to live in a way that makes him known. We are his ambassadors in this world. Like we heard recently at church, we are his masterworks. We're displaying his glory and his goodness. Don't forget that. And friends, as, as we come to the end of this weekend, I just wanted to just, I want us to imagine what it will look like if we apply what we've heard over the past two days, over the past three talks, to our lives, to our church family. I want to imagine what it would look like if we were living out the, not out the posture of cheap grace, but just our gospel identity that we heard about yesterday. If we were seeking to be sanctified, to be more like Jesus in how we lived. Like what would it look like if we made God's grace visible to each other in how we interacted and loved one another? What would it look like to the outside world, those coming, like we've had more people, well, I can't say this, but recently we've had a lot of people, over 150 people come along to Anchor Church in the past couple of months. A lot of those people don't know Jesus. Like what would it look like if we made his grace visible with how we interacted with one another on a Sunday? And I, I don't think it's bold to say it. I can imagine what it would look like if God was adding to our number day by day. What would it look like if we were such a different people? That we were such lights in this dark world that people wanted to come along, not because it's a, a smooth production or people are trendy or whatever. Like what if people were just like, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about this grace that's on offer. Let's not leave this weekend just, just hearing about it and then hit Monday and we forget all about it. Like, let's leave this weekend being transformed and motivated to, to go out and make Jesus known. Uh, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you have made your grace visible to us in Jesus. Father, thank you that, yeah, you love us too much. That you sent your son to die for us. Father, I pray that as we go out from this week, that grace isn't just this intellectual idea or this theological idea, but it's the posture of our lives that we walk in, that we want to be saturated by. That we don't want to live out of a, a, a life of cheap grace. We want to enjoy your fullness. We want to make that grace visible in how we love one another interact with one another. We want to make that grace visible to the outside world. And Father, we, we pray and we're expecting that you'll add to our number, not for our glory, 
not so we can roll bums on seats, but it's like we can be worshipping with people that we've met in our workplaces, in our lives, at our unis, for all eternity. They can taste and see your goodness and your glory and your beauty. Father, we pray that you use us. Father, help us flee from our sin. Help us run from the things that entangle us. Father, help us be a church that isn't just nice, but we're loving. That we want to call out the sin in each other's lives in a humble and gentle way. Help us not be blind to our own sin, Father, but help us want to do whatever it takes to become more and more like Jesus. And Father, we pray that we can go out and have an impact on the world. That we can use the churches in Sydney for revival and that one day history will look back and see what happened in the Roman Empire. That Christians just live such different lives despite persecution, despite opposition, despite the culture changing around us. And that you use that to see your name made known see the wayward brought home. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. Amen.